0: Welcome to The Coin Club, a podcast brought to you by the Seven House Coins Currency Bullion, where we discuss everything related to numismatics. I'm glad to have you along with me for my journey and excited to share with you the very best of numismatics. The Coin Club Podcast, episode 22 to be exact. I'm glad to have you back here with me for another great episode of the podcast. I'm sure many of you can relate, but it seems I've blinked and a few weeks have flown by and we're back here to share some more exciting news and coin information together. I was told a long time ago that the older you get, the faster time seems to go by, and while I was awaiting the never ending, excruciating pain of suffering through the wait until I could get my driver's license, I never believed a word of it. Well, regardless of how fast or slow the weeks may go by, they have all been filled with some exciting news to catch up on in the coin world. Have any of you been to a coin show recently? Feedback from my favorite coin show, the Baltimore Whitman Show, was sticker shock for many people. Their money just didn't go as far as they thought it would. Disappointing if you're a buyer. We all have to remember, though, that when prices go up in the rest of the world, the coin prices need to go up as well. Manufacturers are facing increases in commodity prices, and those prices need to be passed on to the consumer. It's no different in our world of collecting. It costs more for the dealers to get to the shows, stay overnight in a hotel if they're traveling from afar, and that cost has to reflect in the price of what they're selling. The good news is that there are coins to be had. Albeit a price increase, they're still out there to find and add to your collection. I was talking to a fan of the podcast recently, and he gave me a little tidbit of info about the United States Mint that I never knew about. We'll end the show on that note. In the meantime, you'll get a healthy dose of the news, the world coin Spotlight, some roll hunting reminders, and stay tuned to find out something about the U.S. Mint that you may have never heard of before. Thanks for tagging along with me, friends. Now let's get on with the show. In the world of news... In 1857, a ship whose journey started in San Francisco took a pause in the country of Panama. Its destination was New York, along with its precious cargo, and three days after it left Panama, it encountered a Category 2 hurricane. For two whole days, the crew fought the storm to keep the ship afloat. When the storm passed, the ship was still afloat. However, it took on heavy damage and massive amounts of water. The coal was wet, the steam engines quit working, and that was the end of the SS Central America. Along with the ship, four hundred and twenty-five souls lost their lives, and the contents of the ship went into the deep. An estimated one point two million dollars in gold now lay at the ocean floor. The Central States U.S. Coin Signature Auction, May fourth through the ninth, had two of these gold ingots up for auction. Heritage Auctions has some offerings up from Fred Weinberg. Error Coin Specialist, a name widely known within the numismatic community. Bidding ends May 2nd for this Coin Die Showcase auction. 261 lots are available to bid. You can see them at www.coins.ha.com. PCGS has announced their quarterly offerings for all you collectors interested in getting your items graded. The first is for all you modern world banknote collectors out there. Submit five notes and get one graded for free. The offer applies to all non-US banknotes dated 1960 to present. The second offer is for all you gold coin lovers out there. When you submit five or more $10 or $20 US gold coins valued at under $2,500, you will save $3 per coin. These specials run from April 1st to June 30th. If you've always wanted to compete in a registry set competition for PCGS and really just couldn't keep up with the big boys and girls with deep pockets, you need to head on over to their website and read a recent article called Registry Reads. They have launched an Everyman Mint state category for the registry sets, which contains coins from the AU58 to MS64 range, a broad range where a lot of us find ourselves purchasing in due to budget constraints. Check it out and get yourself ready to start competing. Are you a fan of the Mandalorian? If you are, head on over to AppMex. They are premiering their Mandalorian Beskar bar. Available in 1 ounce and 10 ounce bars, they are sure to be a cool addition to your collection, especially if you're a fan. Make Grogu proud and add one of those to your collection. The obverse features the Neo coat of arms, face value, year of issue, weight, Purity and official copyright of Lucasfilm. The reverse features the wavy service of the Galactic Imperial stamp, as seen in the Disney Plus series. There is a limit of 301 ounce bars per customer. The 10 ounce bars are limited to five per customer, and there will be only 3,000 of these available. Do any of you podcast fans know of any business that has been around for well over 200 years? Of course you do. The United States Mint just celebrated its 230th anniversary. Since 1792, they've been cranking out our beloved collectibles and coinage for the masses. Not only in our country, but for countries around the world. Do you know what the very first circulating coinage was that the Mint gave to the United States? It was actually 11,178 copper cents on March first, 1793. Head on over to their website to read the article celebrating their anniversary. It dives into the history of the Mint and gives you a perspective on what went on in the early days. April 7th, they released the 2022 U.S. Mint Proof Set. at San Francisco Mint, you get 10 proof finished coins. The Sacagawea Dollar, the Kennedy Half Dollar, Roosevelt Dime, Jefferson Nickel, Lincoln Cent, and the 5 American Women Quarters Program coins. Pricing is $32. If I can get my act together and get you a new episode in two weeks, there will be only two offerings released between now and then. On April 14th, you will see the release of both of them, the American Eagle 2022 one-ounce silver proof coin and the 2022 congratulations set. Both are minted at the West Point Mint. The American Eagle one-ounce silver proof coin is priced at $73, while the congratulations set is priced at $75. One last reminder on the Mint offerings. If you sign up for their enrollment program on coin releases, you can get free budget shipping. March 31st, the Mint made a press release asking for public's help in getting coins circulating again. Since the start of the pandemic, the general public has not been circulating coins to the extent that they were before, and they want you to get out there, use exact change, turn in those jars of full coins you've been saving up, and get those coins moving. For those of you speculating and conspiracy theory about why the Mint announced their stop of the 2022 Morgan and Peace dollars, well, you'll need a good explanation, straight from the source. Who better to cover this than my favorite numismatic publication, Numismatic News? They have a great article on their website explaining the U.S. Mint's silver shortage. Patrick Heller wrote a great article that you could check out for more info. Head on over to their website at www.numismaticnews.net and give it a read. Big coin show coming up, folks, from April 27th to the 30th. The Central States Numismatic Society will hold their annual convention in Schomburg, Illinois. One last local announcement for those in the Maryland area, and one special to me, my coin club. The Belmar Coin Club will be hosting its annual coin show on May 29th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Holiday Inn in Aberdeen, Maryland. It is conveniently located right off Interstate 95. Plenty of hotels if you're coming from out of town and lots of great food in the area as well. Come out and support a great local coin club and have a great day on the Chesapeake Bay. Alright friends, time for the World Coin Spotlight. We're going to head south once again to a country who is home to the famous Machu Picchu, Peru. Its neighbors to the north are Ecuador and Colombia, the east by Brazil, and the south and southeast by Chile and Bolivia. On its western side is the Pacific Ocean. It has a population of just over 34 million people and uses the sol as its official currency. This form of currency was around since 1991 and prior to that the Inti. It wasn't the first time that the country used the sol as its official currency, though. It had a long time run from 1863 to 1985. The Peruvian Real was before this, and the Spanish Real before that, from the 16th to the 19th centuries. If you're in Peru and paying cash for something, retailers must round the total amount down to the nearest ten centimos, or up to the nearest five. If you're paying by card, it will be the exact amount of your purchase. Today's coin we're going to spotlight is the 1997 non-circulating Una Nueva Sol. It is a gold coin on a planchet of .916 pure gold, which celebrates the 75th anniversary of the Central Reserve Bank of Peru. It's really a gorgeous gold coin. On the obverse, there is a very prominent 75th anniversary nod to the bank and the years it commemorates, 1922 to 1997 and Un Nuevo Sol at the top. The reverse shows the National Coat of Arms of Peru. Along the sides of the coin reads Banco Central de Reserva del Peru, 1997, and the weight and gold fineness as well. Only 1,000 of these were minted. They weigh in at 16.978 grams, the 26 millimeters round, and 1.83 millimeters thick. Check it out on the web, and if you're a gold collector, it's surely one that you complement your collection very, very nicely. Alright friends, if you're a proof coin, error, and variety collector, or even a Jefferson nickel collector, the roll hunting reminder section this week is going to be just for you. I'm going to give you five Jefferson proof nickels to be on the lookout for when you're going through proof sets. The first one to look for, you'll have to dig out your 1990 proof sets. The 1990 S-Proof Jefferson nickel features a double-die obverse. Doubling can be seen prominently on the In God We Trust and the designer's initials. It is not a common one to find and hence price accordingly. In 1971, S. Jefferson nickels be on the lookout for a double-die reverse. You will see some extra thickness on the E. pluribus unum and the right edge of the building, and the LLO on Monticello has some obviously visible doubling. This one is more common and can bring you anywhere from the low double digits up to $100 or so. Now wait, don't put those 71 sets back yet. You'll want to examine the number 2 coin for one more error that will make it our number 3 to look for. A missing S mint mark. That's right, the mint mark will be totally missing on this one. A more pricey one to be on the lookout for, it can fetch a $1,000 and up. Number 4 coin to be on the lookout for is the 1969 S Jefferson nickel. You're particularly going to pay attention to the mint mark on this one. Look for a repunched mint mark. The additional S will be to the east. It can be fairly easy to spot and can fetch up to $100 depending on the condition. The last coin we'll feature today, and one of the cooler ones to look for is the 1964 proof Jefferson nickel. Turn it over on the reverse, and you'll be looking for a triple die. Triple die will be on the United States of America, and it also will show doubling on Monticello and 5 cents. This one brings about the same money as our number 4 coin. Proof sets are often overlooked when searching for errors and varieties, however they hide some pretty cool things to be on the lookout for. Don't overlook them yourself when you're out there. Happy hunting, friends. Alright, friends, for the main feature of the show, we're going to take a look at a piece of the United States Mint history that even I wasn't aware of. A show listener and a fan brought this one to my attention, which is just another reminder to all of you out there that if there's something that you find interesting or think would be a good feature on the podcast, send me a message and it might be covered on a future episode. What is this part of history, you're asking yourself? Well, it's a part of the mint's storied past that didn't quite come to fruition. A branch mint in the town of Dolls, Oregon, to be exact. It is a very interesting story with a quick ending. Very quick. The building never made it to official branch mint status. Gold was discovered in Idaho in the year of 1860, and the state of Oregon also had its own little gold rush going on in the east around that time. Like a few of the other mints that popped up due to gold being found in and around their regions, the story is almost the same here. There was no mint in the Pacific Northwest at the time. The nearest mint that could be used to process all the raw gold and dust that was being found was down in San Fran. Quite a trip with covered wagons and highly inefficient. With the Civil War raging in the states at the time, an astounding 80,000 prospectors were in the areas looking for gold. And they were finding it, so something had to be done. The demand to process the found gold was increasing by the day. In 1862, a United States Senator for Oregon by the name of James W. Nesmith introduced a bill that would provide a new mint for these prospectors to turn their gold into coinage in the town of Portland, Oregon. Much, much closer and timely than having it shipped down south to the Granite Lady. The bill failed eventually and the people were left with no new opportunities for a closer option for their gold. On the nation's birthday in 1864, Congress finally passed a bill to build a new branch mint in the town of Dolls, Oregon. It would take on the city's name as the Dolls Mint and would be used to mint gold and silver coinage. Easy peasy, right? Nope. The location still wasn't a place that a few of the people in Congress liked, so they put in another bill to vote on a location change to Portland. The bill failed, and the location was set to Dolls. The new Mint superintendent was chosen, and William Logan got the job. Mr. Logan was prominent in the government world as an Indian agent appointed by the Bureau of Indian Affairs. He had this job from 1861 to 1865. Logan and his family were in San Francisco at the time. He was called up to be the superintendent of the Mint, and he needed to make his way up to Dolls to start the show rolling. He boarded a ship with his wife on July 28th to make the journey north. The ship's name was Brother Jonathan. Brother Jonathan was a paddle steamer which started hauling people and goods in 1851. It was 220 feet long and 36 feet wide. It was initially used to haul goods from New York to Chagres, Panama. At the time, it was the fastest steamer around, making that trip down and back in only 31 days. One year after its original owner commissioned the ship, Cornelius Vanderbilt purchased it and made modifications to haul more passengers. In 1856, he sold it to Captain John Wright, who used it until it was in disrepair, and then he sold it to the California Steam Navigation Company, who retrofitted it and used it for a route that Mr. Logan and his wife needed to get to Oregon. The ship was loaded with a large amount of gold that day, it set sail, and had a heavy ore crusher on it as well. Even before passengers boarded the ship, the captain put out the alert that the ship was sitting too low in the water and he wasn't going to depart with the payload and the passengers who didn't even board yet. It was absolutely unsafe. He was told that if he didn't depart, he would be fired and replaced by someone who would. He continued with loading the passengers and when he decided to leave, the boat sunk down into the mud and everyone had to wait until high tide for a tug ship to pull it out. Stormy conditions faced at the California-Oregon border forced the decision of the captain to turn the boat around and head back to the bay. Only 55 minutes after that decision was made, the ship struck a rock and the ore crusher aboard fell through the bottom of the ship. There were enough lifeboats aboard to deal with all the passengers on board, but only three were able to be launched. The first one was capsized and the storm was so bad that only one of these lifeboats were able to rescue people to safety. Eleven crew members, five women, and three children were the only survivors out of the 255 passengers of that day. All of its contents and passengers that weren't on that single lifeboat were lost. The gold, in today's dollars, was valued at $50 million. Among the people that lost their lives on this fateful day was Mr. Logan and his wife. The mint, not yet in construction, had its first setback. The initial land that the Mint was to be built upon was donated by Mary Laughlin on June 6, 1865. Construction didn't start until 1869, though. The basement and the first floor were built in this year. However, there were some other things going on in the background that would further put the nails in the coffin for the Mint Dolls. The gold rush was waning, and the Central Pacific Railroad opened, making transportation much, much more efficient. The dream of a branch, in and dolls was obsolete before the first floor was even completed. In 1870, the government suspended construction of the building and the project was officially abandoned in 1873. The government gave that structure to the state of Oregon in 1875 and they turned around and sold it to private investors in 1889. The building was used by the Columbia Warehouse Company in 1940 and was damaged by a fire in 1943. It was repaired in 47 and sold to Ralph's Transfer and Storage Company and eventually, in 2007, it became the home of the Aaron Glen Winery and underwent a $1.5 million restoration. It is a 35-foot-high structure made of granite. It is 50 feet by 60 feet wide and initially cost $105,000 to build. It was originally meant to be a two-story structure, but with the government pulling out of the project, A roof was slapped on the first story, and it remains a single-story structure today with an addition that was put on later. A very interesting part of the United States Mint's history that some of you may have not known about. Thank you to Barry for bringing this to my attention. If anyone tells you that coins are boring, you tell them they're full of it. The history behind them and their production, as told in this story, are truly an interesting topic and surround the entire hobby. We all know a little bit of one topic and a little bit of another, but we all don't know everything, and our community is well known for being willing to share and teach and build off of everyone's knowledge. Well folks, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Coin Club Podcast. I was really glad to have you along with me. Remember to share the podcast with your friends, visit and follow me on social media. You can find all those links at www.7houseccb.com. Feel free to email me your questions or comments. And as always, I hope to have you along with me on the next episode of the Coin Club Podcast. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Coin Club Podcast. I had a great time with you today and look forward to sharing with you on the next episode. If you've liked what you've heard, please consider supporting me on Patreon at the Coin Club Podcast. Please follow me on social media. I'm on Facebook at the Seven House Coins Currency Bullion and also on Instagram at the same name. You can also go to my website, sevenhouseccb.com, and give me some feedback on this episode or some suggestions on what you would like to see on future episodes. As always, I'm grateful to all of you for your support and look forward to seeing you the next time on the Coin Club Podcast.